Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. At home. That has uh, reminded me of back when I was in the Marine Corps, and they said, take a PT shower, and you got 30 seconds. And uh, so anyway, man, first of all, isn't that special to take time to see Two young people making their profession of faith in front of people and just uh, taking that step. McKinley, I'm so proud of you, so happy for you. And Gus, very, very excited for you and thankful for your desire just to put the Lord first this year at Christmas time. And uh, man, if you have your Bible this morning, I pray that you do. If you have it, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We're not going to take long because... Uh, Listen, I know this is a great time for you to spend time with your family, but um, I think it's important for us just to look at a, a very familiar passage of Scripture, but to be reminded of what we can see through the wisdom, the supernatural wisdom of, uh, of the uh, Magi here in Scripture. And so I want us to read in Matthew chapter 2 here for a little bit, the first 12 verses, and then, and then we'll... Uh, We'll move on from there. Thank you. First of all, also, let me thank Chad and Bill for filling in for the praise team. The praise team has the day off. Not really the day off because most of them are here helping out in some other capacity. But thank you for uh, uh, stepping up just to lead a couple of songs for us this morning. And uh, very, very thankful for our choir coming, uh, those that were able to be here this morning and singing as we got things started. So, uh, what a wonderful day it is. Look at Matthew chapter 2. The Bible says in verse number 1 and following, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. I think all Jerusalem was troubled because they knew about Herod. And look at verse number uh, four. And when they had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them, Herod demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah. This is a reference over to Micah chapter five. Thou art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star actually appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they had saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw that star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down. Notice it says they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the day that we have, you've given us, you've blessed us with, and God, the opportunity to worship, worship Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. God, you proved your love by sending your Son who ultimately died for our sins. And so, Lord, today we gather to celebrate, to worship, to rejoice in what, what you have done through your Son. Lord, we thank you for the time that we have today. And, God, I'm, I'm thankful for those that have taken the opportunity to be here with us. And, Lord, certainly so many are traveling and so many of other, other things that are taking place. Lord, I pray that as we talked about last night, Lord, that each of us would just make the effort today to get it right, to get Christmas right this year. God, by making room for Jesus and worshiping him and offering ourselves to him as a gift in return for the greatest gift that's been ever offered to us. Lord, today I pray that you'll open up our eyes and speak to our hearts, God, that we might be encouraged. We might even be challenged today. Lord, I do pray that if there's somebody in this room or watching that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that through a simple message about the wisdom of Christmas, at Christmas, Lord, that they might hear from you and your spirit might draw them unto yourself where they might find forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I praise you for all that you have done. We look forward to what you'll do in the days ahead and we give you the praise for all of it. And we pray this in the precious and powerful name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake, amen and amen. Well, I want to talk to you about wisdom at Christmas and I think it's important that uh, we, we look at what scripture has to say. And when I think about wisdom... In Scripture, other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I'm actually reminded of the wisdom of Solomon. You remember in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon prays and, and God blesses Solomon after he prays. And the Bible says that God blessed him with a, with a wise and understanding heart. And you remember right out of the gate, Solomon's wisdom is put to the test. And the two, ma, the two women come to him claiming to be the mother of a certain child and uh, we see that supernatural wisdom that was given to Solomon. But as I look through Scripture, I think of other people who are wise. And one of my favorite, I've told you many times that one of my favorite people in Scripture is Enoch. And Enoch was wise. You say, well, there's not a lot written about Enoch. You get a little bit of it in Genesis and you get a, a little blurb in uh, Hebrews. But that's all I need to know. Enoch was wise in that he walked with God in such a way that he actually pleased God. You think about Noah and the wisdom Noah had, the supernatural wisdom just to keep on doing what God wanted him to do when the rest of the world said no. That was his wisdom. I think of Ruth, the wisdom of Ruth and staying with her mother-in-law, but not only staying with her mother-in-law Naomi, but Ruth, her wisest choice was to, to, to make Naomi's God her God. And there was great wisdom there. Think about David, David's wisdom. Although he struggled like us, he was a man after God's own heart and he was the one who was able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's what wisdom leads us to do. And so as we celebrate Christmas, be thinking about how can I be wiser this year than maybe last year? What, if, what, what can I do different today than I've done in the past? And uh, I know the Lord will bless you. I think about Martha and Mary. You know, both of them, we give Martha a hard time because she was cumbered about with much serving. She was doing a lot of things. But you know what? Martha was wise in that she actually invited Jesus into her home. She was wise. that She was the one that actually invited Jesus into the home. And Mary was wise because she actually sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to what he had to say. I think there's a lot of wisdom if we would just slow the mechanism down 
sometimes and just sit down and listen to what Jesus has to say. Amen? Are you with me this morning? Oh, Merry Christmas. We need to think about wisdom at Christmas. I think these magi that we just read the story about, they come to worship the Christ child after his miraculous birth. And, and the reality is they actually embody this supernatural wisdom that you and I, it's available to you and I today. And so, listen, they've been led by the Spirit of God. They knew the Word of God, as we'll see, and they witnessed this miracle of the star and the Savior. And so, uh, as we celebrate the Christ of Christmas, let's look just a couple of things this morning uh, before we eat some cake. Amen? I know you guys are already probably, somebody probably already got into the cake back there, but uh, we're going to eat some cake as you go. But uh, let's look at a couple of things. And the first thing I think we can detect, and this is nothing new, it's, it's nothing uh, extraordinary other than it is the Word of God, right? That's what's extraordinary about what we're talking about. But I see the wisdom of these wise men in that they followed the star. See, wisdom caused them to follow this star. But here's the deal. I always ask myself a bunch of weird questions. It's like, how do these magi know that that particular star that they saw in the east, how do they know that that is so significant, that that is so special, that they actually get up from what they're doing and they say, you know what, we got to travel about 300 miles east. we got to go see this thing which has come to pass. What is it that tells them? How do they know? I mean, because the reality is I look in Scripture, I wonder who told them about a king. You see, because when we talk about Joseph and Mary, we know that the angel comes and tells Joseph, hey, don't be afraid to take Mary under that wife. We know the angel goes to Mary and says, hey, guess what? You're going to conceive the Holy Spirit's coming upon you, and the power of the highest is going to overshadow you. But we don't have any record of any angelic beings going to the Magi and telling them. And so I ask myself, how do they know it's significant, and who told them about a king? Because very quickly we learn that they already knew. And so there's a lot that we don't know about these Magi, but the reality is, you know what? And this might rub your fur the wrong way, but that's okay. We don't have to know everything about the Magi. I don't have to know everything. That's, what, that's, a, that's where faith comes in. I don't have to know everything of, of, about Jesus. I'm wanting to grow and, and learn more in my knowledge of the Lord. But guess what? I don't have to know it all. There are some things that are mysteries. And I think about just as we sang last week in the, in the presence, having Christmas in his presence, as Chad was preaching last week and, and he reminded us what, what a day that's going to be when we, when we all gather around the throne and we see saints of old talking with one another. Maybe we see Abraham and Isaac and we look over here and we see Paul and Barnabas and, and I loved how Chad says and looks like they patched things up, right? They got, they got things right and they're talking over here. And then when we see Jesus, guess what? Everything else is going to fade away, right? These guys... They, I don't understand it all, but I don't need to understand it all. All I need to know is that wisdom causes these guys to actually follow a star. And the reality is, you know, I, I always say, well, what clued them in? What gave them a clue that something significant, something special was happening? A lot of people most likely believe that they were of Babylonian origin. And you remember about 300 years before Christ's birth, you've got uh, Daniel a young man by the name of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a number of other Hebrew boys that are brought into Babylon as slaves of King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and you know the stories of how God blessed Daniel and kept on promoting him up to, to the point where he basically comes like third in charge of everything. And so the reality is God uses Daniel to write the book of Daniel, including prophecy and on and on. And, 
And the reality is, because Daniel became a high official in the royal government, that's really important because his writings would have been seen as being very important. See, back in that time, only, only government officials, scholars, or religious leaders would have been privy, so to speak, of these writings. And so let's think about the Magi for a second. We go back to the Magi, and they were considered scholars. Now, you and I may, may have looked at them and said, hold on, man. These, these were guys who were part of a pagan group, the Medo-Persian uh, religious order of Zoroaster. These guys are, are pagans. Why would Guess what? The same way it is today. Not everybody who is considered wise is a believer. Am I right? You look around in positions of government hierarchy and those who are considered to be scholars, those who are considered to be important people, not all of them are believers. And so the same thing is taking place here. But these magi, because they're scholars, they actually would have had access to the writings of Daniel. Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't think so. I don't think it's a coincidence at all. In fact, these guys were interpreter of dreams. They were specialists in astronomy and astrology and medicine and magic. And you remember, even when there came time for dreams, this is who the kings, whether it was Nebuchadnezzar or Darius, these are the ones that they would call and ask for them to interpret dreams for them. And so they would have had access to things like what we find in Daniel chapter 9. Notice these words in verse 24 and following. Yes, this is prophecy, but it also sandwiched in here tells us a lot about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In verse 24, the Bible says, 70 weeks are determined upon the people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression. By the way, if you're not someone who studies a lot about prophecy, you're going to hear these words and you're going to be like, I'm thoroughly confused, right? You're going to read these verses and you're going to say it's thoroughly confusing. That's why we have to do our homework. We got to get into the word of God. He says, 70 weeks are determined upon the people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity, pay attention, and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto, speaking of unto the coming of the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The streets shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. Verse 26, and after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Is that good news? Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince shall come, uh, the, uh, the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. This is all about the coming of the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, as we were talking about, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is all about Jesus Christ. In fact, I, I, listen, you see it says Messiah the prince and then cut off but not for himself. I also believe that these magi would have been privy and would have known about the prediction that we find. And I didn't give it to the guys upstairs, so just listen to this. The prediction that we find over in Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17. And the Bible says, I shall see him but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. 
There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. Listen, this is all the things. These guys would have known all about this. And that's just a little bit about the Magi. But you say, well, what about the star? I mean, what do we know about the star? Well, there's a lot of thoughts about the star, to be honest. There are some people who think the star was a supernova, uh, that there would have been an alignment of the planets that would have caused some extreme brightness or whatnot. But uh, the reality is, since they followed a star, it's unlikely that a supernova would have been the answer or the reality of what took place. Other people believe that it wasn't a supernova, but that it was a, uh, that it was a comet. But see, because comets cause this great flash across the sky, but the reality of a comet is once it throws that great flash, it basically fades out of view. And so it's unlikely that it would have been a comet because a comet would have had to stay up in the sky for months for these guys to travel 300 miles, whether it would be by horse or, or donkey or foot, as I was saying last night. And so it's unlikely. Messianic Jewish scholars always seem to point us to the fact that the word star, the actual word star in Hebrew has various different meanings, but it always, it always goes back to the root word that actually means, watch this, brilliance. So you want to know about the star? It's the brilliance of God, the brightness of God, shining for these, these magi, if you please. And when you think about this idea of the Hebrew word meaning brilliance, it's speaking of the Shekinah glory of God. We're thinking about the Shekinah glory of God, the physical manifestation of His glory. In fact, the Old Testament shows us over and over that the glory of God had led the children of Israel, you know, a cloud and, and fire and on and on, and, and how the glory of God rested over the tabernacle. And so this is something that would have been very familiar to Old Testament scholars, which kind of Breaks my heart that they didn't realize Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, Ezekiel, he actually describes the glory of the Lord in Ezekiel 10.4 as a brightness. When you study that out, it literally means the same thing, a brilliance. All in all, we really don't know a lot about the star, but what we do know is that the wise men, they leave their astronomy, they leave their astrology, and they go in search and ultimately to worship not astrology or astronomy, but they go in search of and to worship the Almighty. Amen? They go to worship this, this child. At the point when they get there, he's no longer in the manger. He's no longer in the manger. This is the, the Christ child. They come into the house and they see the child and his mother. But the Bible tells us they don't, they don't bow down and worship anything other than Jesus, the Christ child. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2 in our text that I read. It says here, look at the phrase. It says, we have seen his star. Again, my mind says, how do you know it's his star? It had to be supernatural wisdom at Christmas that caused him. You see, God provided the remedy for sin through his son, and he provides the miraculous light to guide them to his son. Oh, yes, the star was created, I believe, and designed for this very particular mission. You say, well, where do you get that? It's called faith. It's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Oh, my friends, don't miss the, the story of Christmas, our great God. By the way, our great God is still drawing men and women and young people unto himself. And these stars may look different today in 2022 
And they may look different in 2023, but God is still using stars to accomplish his mission. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3, a familiar verse, the Bible says, And they that be wise shall shine. If you want to be wise at Christmas, man, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If you want to be wise at Christmas, man, don't hide it under a bushel. As the little song says, no, let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. This is what it says here. It says, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as stars forever and ever. I don't know about you. Maybe your star, maybe the star for you was a mother's love. Maybe the star for you was a father's prayer, testimony of a friend, a sister, a brother's plea to turn to Jesus. See, God uses us in various capacities as we, as we let our light so shine, as we share the word of God and the spirit of God speaks to hearts and lives, God uses us as, as little bitty stars to draw people unto himself. And I don't know what the star was in your life, but I know it ultimately leads to the greatest star, and his name is Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, as Christians, you and I ought to be the stars that God has called us to be. By the way, don't go out of here thinking, oh man, got the puffed up head and you got your halo on tight. Oh man, pastor said, I'm a star. What's up? What's up? No, that's not the message. As we let our light so shine, the light that we're letting shine is Christ inside of us. It's nothing I have done. There's nothing inside of me that is good other than Jesus. And if you need verification for that, you can simply ask my wife. As I say, and I jokingly say it, but you know what? We are all qualified for salvation in that we are all sinners. We are all sinners. But the light that shines in our hearts, man, God wants us to carry that light into the world and to point people to the Christ of Christmas. Let's get it right this year, amen? Wisdom caused them to follow the star. Wisdom also called them to declare the birth of the new king, newborn king. Look at verse 2 again. It's kind of crazy to me. But in verse number 2, they actually make a declaration by asking a question. See, they don't go in with a lot of bravado and say, hey, this is this and this. They actually go in, and, and it appears at this moment that they're reverent toward the king, right? And, and they go, and here's what they say. They say, where is he? that is born king of the Jews. In other words, they're not asking whether or not Jesus has been born. They're asking, where is he? They're like, where is he? Because we followed the star. We know that he has been born. And, and here's, the, here's the caveat. They actually assume, they actually assume, be careful when you assume, they actually assume that everybody should have already known about this birth. They actually get there and they're like, hey, we made it, look. Here we are, and we don't know. We, we sing the song, We Three Kings. It could have been 30 kings. It could have been 300 kings. We don't know, but we sing the songs, and they say, hey, listen, we made it. Where is Jesus? And the king said, I have no clue. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. So he gathers the chief priests and the scribes, and he gathers all the religious crowd together, and he says, hey, what are these guys talking about? Right? And then he sets out to kill all the children. He's like, no, no, no. We're not having any king of the Jews. We're going to get rid of this. We're going to stamp it down right now. And so they go in assuming 
that everybody must have known. And the question that they ask actually reminds me of a question that God asked years and years and years and years before, back in Genesis chapter 3. You remember after Adam and Eve, they sinned? God comes out, right? He comes out in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 9. The Bible says, And the Lord God called unto Adam, and notice what he says unto him. He says, Where art thou? Just like, the, just like the Magi said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? The difference is, in Genesis chapter 3, God is searching. Although he knew exactly where Adam was, he knew where Eve was, he was searching for the sinner. But here we find the sinner searching for the Savior, amen? They come and they say, where is he born king of the Jews? And the wisdom of the wise men teaches me, and it ought to teach us all, that wise people will always want to know. We will always want to know where the Christ of Christmas is. You remember when John the Baptist, Jesus is coming across in John chapter 1, and John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You remember Andrew, one of the smart people, and I kind of left him out at the beginning, but he was smart because he had some wisdom because the first thing he does is he goes and he gets his brother and brings him to Jesus. That's called wisdom. But anyway, when John says, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Andrew goes up to Jesus and he says, hey, where, where are you from? Where are you going to, to the effect? And Jesus says, you come and see. You come and see. You want to know me? You want to get to know me? You come and see. And we know that that's exactly what Andrew did. I love this. A woman once said these words. She said, the Magi were called wise men because they stopped and asked for directions. They were were actually wise because they stopped and asked for direction. Now we have our phones. We don't do this anymore. Uh, Be careful with your phone, though. That thing will lead you astray. You be like put in a dress and you end up somewhere that you're not, you're like in Rhode Island all of a sudden. You're like, how did I get to Rhode Island, right? Seriously, though, these guys, they travel 300 miles through the Syrian desert, risky territory, most likely areas of great danger. And so they travel a long distance to see this Christ child, the king, right? They follow the star and they come and they declare his birth and they travel a long distance. Can I tell you the distance for you and I is about 18 to 24 inches, right? And I'm not talking about the heart as the blood pumping organ. I'm talking about the seat of emotions, everything, our mind, our heart, everything, It's less than 18 inches, the distance. See, because a lot of times what we do is we try to rationalize things. Can I tell you, you and I will never be able to rationalize the things of God, right? Like our first message this month, we were talking about the virgin birth and does it really matter? Yeah, it does matter. It absolutely does matter. But you may never be able to rationalize that because you're so smart, you're so scientific, you're a doctor, you're a nurse, and you know biology. I mean, you aced it. You're a college graduate. You have all kinds of degrees. And don't tell me that a virgin conceived. You might not be able to grasp that. But listen, if you can't grasp the virgin birth, then I don't know how you grasp the resurrection. All these things are important. Wisdom caused them to follow the star and declare the birth. Wisdom also caused them to do something that I want to encourage you to do today. Whether you've already spent time opening up gifts, giving to one another, or you're going to do that after this service, I want to encourage you to spend time worshiping the Christ child, the Christ of Christmas. Look at verse number 11 of our text. The Bible says, And when they were come into the house, 
They saw the young child with Mary's mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. As I stated earlier, listen, in spite of the difficulty and distance, discomfort, and danger that these guys would have been traveling, the reality is that these men sought to worship Jesus. In other words, they got to the point, they see Jesus, they, they're, they're blown away, they finally come, they see the Christ child, they see his mother, and they literally start worshiping him. They start giving him the honor and the glory that is due unto him and only him. Oh, friends, I want to encourage you to do the same because Jesus is worthy. He's worthy for you and me to bow down today and worship to him. He's worthy as our God. These guys, they never worship the cradle. They worship Christ. They never worship Mary. They actually worship the master. Oh, be careful of who we're worshiping. They didn't worship in the sight of it all. They worship the Savior at all. I put down here, we have to be careful to keep our worship in proper perspective when it comes to our worship because many today worship the church or some celebrated leader. Can I tell you, don't ever serve, don't ever worship or celebrate me. Don't ever do it. You need to celebrate and worship Jesus. Right, But there are a lot of people and a lot of churches are struggling because what happens is that people start worshiping a man or some leader and then when something goes awry, their faith is all crumbling. Oh, what happened? What happened? No, man, get our eyes back on Jesus. He's the only one. He's the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Oh, listen, this is the sad thing about worship. A lot of people worship religion instead of a redeemer. They worship the service or what they can get from the church. You'd be surprised how many actually come and worship because of what they can get from the church instead of what they can get from the Savior. Oh, my friends. And then there's people who worship with their lips and not with their life. But I want to tell you something. When Christ came into my life, it made a difference. Right? When Christ came in, my life was different. I don't want to point anybody out, but we were talking the other day of the difference of your life, B.C. and A.C., before Christ and after Christ. You know what I'm talking about. I'm pointing to someone. He knows who I'm talking to. I don't want to embarrass him this morning. But the difference of who we are before Christ and who we are after Christ is night and day. It's totally different. And you know somebody else who had the same experience in his life was the Apostle Paul. Paul, this player, he was on his way to Damascus to, 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 to condemn and to criticize and to convict more Christians. He was, he was ready to put others to death for their faith and put them in prison and on and on. And he has this Damascus Road experience. And the Bible tells us that after Christ comes in, his life is different. You say, well, how do you know that? Because Galatians chapter 2 tells us in verse number 20, Paul says, I'm now crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And then he goes on, he says, In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Folks, this Christmas... We have the mangers set up, and most churches they set up mangers and things like this. But you have to realize that that was only the beginning. That was only the beginning. That's where we ultimately look to. We look, we glory in the cross of Christ, as Galatians 6 tells us. Oh, friends, oh, we've got to be careful to worship the right thing today. Wisdom at Christmas time or any other time for that matter means that you and I ought to be living, that we ought to be worshiping the Christ of Christmas and only Him on a regular basis. Speaking of the cross, 
You remember when Jesus was going through his mock trial and those that were condemning him and on, they were mocking him? Matthew chapter 27 reveals this. Listen to what scripture says back at that time. It says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus unto the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right side. And they bowed the knee before him and they mocked him, saying, Hail, hail, king of the Jews. And they spit upon him. And they took the reed and they smote him on the head. That's the Christ of Christmas. Oh, we make no mistake. We're not worshiping a tiny baby in a manger. We're worshiping the Christ, the Son of God, who came so that he could ultimately die for our sins today. Oh, the crown was simply an instrument that those people could use at that time, not to worship Jesus, but to mock him. Oh, my friends, they were treating Jesus like a king, but watch this. They were treating him like a king in name only. Now let's dial it back for a second. Because I put a question here in my notes. I wonder how many times we treat him as king in name only. See, we read a passage about how they beat him and how they whipped him and how they mocked him and how they spit on him and how they crucified him. And we think about the fact that they use that crown of thorns and they, they mock him as the so-called king of the Jews, not to worship him, but to mock him. And so we see that they treat him as king in name only. But I wonder, 365, how many times we actually just treat Jesus as king in name only. Oh, listen, if Jesus is really the Lord of our lives and our homes, and I pray that he is, it's going to make a difference in how we worship him today, in tomorrow, in the house. It's going to make a difference in how we live in the workplace. And when we're dealing with people in the workplace or in the marketplace, young people, it's going to make a difference in how you talk to people in school, in high school, in grade school, in college, and on and on. It makes a difference. Oh, my friends, to properly worship the Christ of Christmas the reality is that everyone who says they're going to worship the Christ of Christmas must have a relationship with him, and we must be delighting ourselves in him. In fact, Psalm 37 in verse number 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You want to know why that scripture, if you leave it up there, the reason we get the desires of our heart is because if we're really, really delighting in the Lord, that is the desire of our heart. It's kind of an oxymoron if you look at it. It really is. Oh, listen, we've got to take up our cross and follow him daily because if he's our king, he's actually going to be governing our lives. Remember I shared the other day in Colossians chapter 3, and let me go back there. I didn't even call for this, guys, but let me just read this one verse. And the verse says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in songs. Right in hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and to the Father by Him. That's what it's all about. Everything, everything that we do, oh, our lives ought to be governed by Him. And it seems to me, as you see the story, and even at the end, the Bible says that as they leave Jesus, they don't go back the same way that they came. 
Their lives are changed. They're like, no, we're not going to go back because God is telling us to go a different way. And so they're allowing God to speak to them and to direct their path after they see the Savior. And then lastly, and I close, the, the wisdom of, of the wise men, it caused them to offer gifts to the Christ child. Verse number 11 says that they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They didn't travel all the way to Bethlehem in order to get something. You see it? They actually traveled all the way to Bethlehem to worship and to offer something. I think we get that backwards sometimes. You see, the first thing they did is they fall down in the worship. They give themselves. They give themselves to Christ in worship. By the way, I put in my notes, that's where Christmas really begins. When we fall down and we worship the Christ of Christmas. That's where Christmas begins. Aside from all the trimmings and the trappings, it begins when we make the conscious choice to fall down and worship him. And secondly, they gave gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, which is kind of ironic because two of the three gifts speaks of his death, not his birth. And you know where? They could have gotten all of that information all the way back from the writings of Daniel, all the way back in Numbers when they hear the predictions and prophecies of a coming Messiah. They could have gotten that. You see, in verse 25 of Daniel 9, the Messiah was to be a prince, denoting his royalty. And so the gift of gold is perfect for a king. In verse uh, 26, it talks about Messiah being cut off. Well, if you go back into Exodus chapter 30, the Bible talks about using the sweet perfume of frankincense, right? As part of the preparation for sacrificial fumigation. And so it's speaking of his death. And then also in verse 26, they would have known to bring the gift of myrrh, which is this bitter herb used to embalm bodies. Again, speaking of his death and on and on. The reality is, listen, the question this morning is what gift, what gift is it that you and I are bringing to Christ? See, because I went to bed last night, I wasn't really concerned about the gifts that are under the tree. By the way, they're still there. They're still there. I tell my wife all the time, my wife's the greatest. Can I tell you, she is like, she's over the top. And you guys know this. She's over the top. And, and she has things, you know, all, all figured out and everything. And I, I'm just like along for the ride, right? It's like, you know, go here, do this, you know, right? Guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so she's got it all planned out, and, and it's all this. But when I get there, yeah, yeah, you guys are making plans. Like, yeah, you're going to have to take ownership of this, right? <laughs> the reality is she knows this from my heart of hearts. I don't need any gifts. I really don't. 56 years old, I got everything that I ever need. I got a wonderful, beautiful wife. I got wonderful children the Lord has blessed me with. I've got the queen mother who keeps an eye on us at the house. Are you keeping an eye on us or am I keeping an eye? I don't know. We don't know. We're figuring it out, right? What a beautiful, what a beautiful blessed life I've been given. And if all of it were to be taken away tomorrow, I still would be able to celebrate the beautiful, blessed life that God has given me. Right? He, the unspeakable gift, as 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, is the greatest gift. The question is, what gift do I offer him? A sinner, undone, condemned, unclean. What do I have? What, what is it that I have 
that would be of worth or value to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great I am? What is it that I could bring to him? And you know the only answer that I come up with? Is me, myself, and I. That's the only gift. He's not, he's not, he's, he's not amused by whether I can teach or preach. That, do, that doesn't, no. He wants my life. He wants to infuse me with his supernatural wisdom. And hold the jokes, please. I don't know. I don't know. You're, you're, the wisdom chart, I'm not sure. You know what? He's given me all the wisdom he wants me to have. And he's given every one of you all the wisdom he wants you to have. The question is, what are we doing with it? You see, the Magi, they, in wisdom, followed the star. They declared that it was the king of the Jews that had been born. They understood who had been born. They actually worshipped Jesus. And then they offered gifts worthy of a king, watch this, who had come to die. They knew what his future beheld. And they offered gifts for it. You may be here and you say, you know what? I heard what you said last night about getting Christmas right. And I went home and we've, we've tried to get it right this year. And maybe you weren't here last night, but you're here this morning. Can I encourage you? Whether you've opened up gifts already or not, as you leave this place, get it right. Get it right. It's not about whether this football team or that football team wins. I'll be honest with you. I did not watch the commander's game because I knew they were probably going to lose. <laughs> Nothing says Merry Christmas like another loss. <laughs> Serious. Can we just get it right? Can you get it right this year in a country that has decided to be, quite honest, in a country that's decided to turn their backs on the Christ of Christmas, on the blessings of God. It seems like our country now is headed, headed for, 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 for a reality without Christ. And we who are Christ followers are just sitting idly by. And in many cases, we're just going along with the crowd. We're like, okay, whatever. Happy holidays. Happy Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah, happy whatever, whatever. No, have a, you know what? Yesterday was a blessing. The day before was a blessing. Everywhere I went, and I didn't go a lot of places, but everywhere I went, people said Merry Christmas. It's only Merry because of Christ, right? The love, joy, the hope, and the peace that we have, it only comes from Christ. I get no peace. I get no joy. I get no hope out of, out of whatever it is that I will open up here in a little while because I know that those things are fleeting. Those things are fading. But the Bible says his word will last forever. It endures forever. His love will endure forever. And I, as I say to a lot of people, soon and very soon, and I don't have a, I, I'm not some kind of fanatic that has a death wish for today, but soon and very soon, guys, I'm going to go see the king. And when I see the king, I'm never coming back. I'll never come back. I don't care if you all pray and you pander the gates of hell for me to, the gates of heaven for me to come back. I'm not going to come back. There's no reason not to celebrate the greatest gift 
that has ever been given to mankind today. I pray that as they play softly, whether you sit there where you're at, whether you come forward as a family and just praise God, that you'll make the effort today that says, I want to exercise some wisdom this Christmas. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying for my sin. You may be here and you may have never trusted Christ. Can I tell you, it's not about some, some mystical, magical words that you say. If the Word of God and the Spirit of God has drawn your heart today and has pulled you close and you know that you need to make a decision for Christ, you know you can do that right where you are. You can call upon the name of the Lord and the Bible says you shall be saved. You say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved. Will you do that? By the authority of God's Word, the Bible says He'll do that. So if you've never trusted Christ, I encourage you to do that right now in this place. Don't leave. Don't get any birthday cake. Don't do anything until you do that. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, I pray that you have been pleased through the teaching and preaching of your word. God, I pray that this Christmas, I pray that we'll get it right. I pray that we'll commit ourselves to following you wherever you lead us. I pray that we'll commit ourselves to declaring your greatness to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, that we'll share the word of God. We'll share you with others. Lord, I pray that we'll worship you this year like never before. Lord, I pray that you'll be pleased as we offer ourselves a holy sacrifice unto you. Lord, I love you, I thank you, and I praise you for how you've blessed us this year. We look forward with great anticipation to what you'll do in the days ahead, and we pray this in the precious and powerful name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen and amen.